wrapping up the series that we have been in for the last 13, 14 weeks as we have been in the Jesus way, as we've been walking through the back half of the book of Mark, looking at the life and the teachings of Jesus. And uh, this message today uh, that we're going to end with here is really, it'll feel like it's part two of last Sunday's message. If you were here last Sunday, um, you know, there's a lot of times when I get up to preach and sometimes I'm like, oh, this is going to be a good one and it falls flat. And there's other weeks when I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be any good and just God moves. And I think last week was one of those weeks. Uh, I probably had more people reach out to me than I've ever had before for a specific message. And I think God was speaking to some hearts very specifically. And so if you didn't, if you didn't uh, catch the message last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. But this message is kind of a continuation to some extent. You're going to see a connection to it. And I think God wants to speak something to us. And I, I really believe that, that we're going to look at four words here that every single believer needs in their life. Uh, it's the same words that Jesus spoke. So if you got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse number 32. Would you stand with me? That's our tradition around here, nothing sacred about it. We just stand to say, God, we honor your word above everything else. Mark 14, verse 32 says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Father, we thank you that you are always speaking. We're not always listening, but today we just stop for a moment. We say we want to hear from you. So would you speak to our hearts, God? Would you change our perspective? Would you open our eyes to see as we should, not as we do? And uh, God, that we would walk out of this place different. I pray that in the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Uh, well, I want you to turn to your neighbor for a second. We love doing this sometimes. I want you to turn to your neighbor. If you don't know him, introduce yourself. Uh, but I want you to tell them what is the furthest you've traveled from your home? What's the furthest? Is it in this country, another state, another country? You know, what, what is it? Furthest you've ever traveled from home. All right, all right, all right. How many of the furthest place you've traveled is in America somewhere? That's the furthest you've ever gone, somewhere in America. It's okay, say that, great. Anybody ever been to Europe? Raise your hand if you've been to Europe. Anybody been to Africa? Raise your hand if you've been to Africa. Anybody been to Asia? Anybody been to Asia? A couple of people. Anybody been to Antarctica? Anyone? To been? No? No? Okay. We'll work on that. Okay, well... I love to travel. Uh, my wife and I, we love to travel. We love to go other places. And uh, I've done quite a bit of traveling. Actually, when I was in college, I was in a couple of different music groups. And so because of that, we ended up traveling a lot and just going, you know, driving around and doing stuff and seeing stuff. And there's something that I discovered with traveling is in, when you travel with someone, you can learn a lot about someone. <laughs> like you learn things that you wouldn't ordinarily see in someone's life. So just for an instance, if you traveled with me, if we were going to go fly somewhere, you would discover uh, that I can be a little uptight when I have to fly somewhere, okay? It's just what happens with me. Like I, it's not that I'm nervous to fly, 
But in preparation, like getting ready for the flight, the few, like two or three hours before that, I'm just like, oh, where's my license? I can't, like, I will unzip my pouch like six times. And is my passport still there? I don't know. Amber's like, you got to chill out, Greg. Once I get on the plane, I'm totally fine. Okay, but I get a little antsy there. All right, that's me. When we drive, it's a totally different picture, okay? Some of you take road trips and you're like, oh, my kids, they lose their marbles. My kids are the least of my problems when I'm driving, okay? We get 30 minutes from the house. We've just left the house and Amber's like, I'm bored. I'm losing it, Greg. I can't take this. Right? She's, she just gets antsy. Like, that, that's how it is when we travel a little bit, okay? There's other people that I've traveled with. Maybe you can see this. There's people that I've traveled with and they just straight up, they just get cranky when they travel, like the thought of going to the airport and doing all this stuff, they're just cranky. And it's like, you need to chill out. Even people that I would consider to be like nice, kind people ordinarily, I've seen them get extremely cranky when they travel. And it's like they start acting different. It's like when the pressure gets turned up, it starts to reveal some things you wouldn't ordinarily see in their life. And the passage that we're going to look at today is just like that. I've entitled this message, a place called Gethsemane. Now, to understand uh, this, what we're looking at here, I'll just kind of set it up a little bit to understand where we're at in the story. Remember, we talked about this last week, that Jesus came. He came preaching the kingdom of God, and he's healing, and he's raising people from the dead. And all along, he told his followers that ultimately he would have to give his life. Over and over again, he said, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And they just, it's like they didn't listen or they didn't believe him. Uh, but we finally get to what we talked about last Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. They get to this Palm Sunday moment, right? Where they, he walks in and everybody's excited because they think Jesus is going to be the king who's going to come and vanquish the Roman Empire. He's going to take over. It's going to be amazing. And he comes into Jerusalem and he starts kicking butt, but it's not the one that they wanted, right? Instead of taking the Romans out, he goes into the temple and he cleans the temple out. And he says, listen, you guys have gone totally the wrong direction. You've lost, you've missed the point of this whole thing. And he goes on and a few days later and it says that he's, they're celebrating the Passover. He goes and celebrates the Passover with his disciples and they sit down and they have a meal and we know that that's the, the first time that we have communion, the last supper. This is what we know that to be. So he celebrates this with his disciples and he's sharing with them some things that he doesn't say any other time. Why? Because he knows the end is coming. It's almost over. And then we get to this. We get to verse number 32 and it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. Now, I've actually been to Gethsemane. If any of you have been to Israel, you've probably visited that. That's one of the places, the Garden of Gethsemane. Where is it? If you're familiar with, you've got Jerusalem. Jerusalem's sitting up on a, kind of a mountain. It's kind of the highest peak in that area. It's sitting up on this hill. And then there's a little valley, the Kidron Valley, that's right next to it. And then there's the Mount of Olives that comes up over the top. And right on the side of that hill is a place called Gethsemane. There's a little garden there, and it would be olive trees that are in there. It's really a gardens of olive trees that are around there. And it says that Jesus goes there to pray. He knows what's coming. He knows what's about to take place. And he goes there to pray with his disciples. And it says in the text that he's in deep distress. He's completely overwhelmed. He's struggling. And what I love about this is sometimes we get this vision of God as like, he has no idea what I'm going through. Right? We can even have this vision of Jesus. Jesus just walks around and he's just so holy and he's floating around and it's, everything was easy for him. But I love this moment because it shows no, he knows what it was. <laughs> like he was dealing with the garbage. Because you've had moments like that in your life. We like ugly cry, you know, you're going through the stuff. He's just like rough right now. Jesus went through that. He's struggling. He's overwhelmed. 
He knows his time is near. And the pressure is so overwhelming that the book of Luke, when it tells this story, it says that his sweat was like drops of blood. That's actually a physical thing that's possible. If you endure extreme amounts of pressure and stress, you can actually sweat little bits of blood. Like that's what's probably happening to Jesus. He's taking that much on in this moment. That's what Gethsemane is like. It's pressure. It's pressure that we can't handle on our own. I don't think it was coincidence that Jesus took his disciples to this place for this moment. You want to know why? You know what Gethsemane means? Oil press. Gethsemane literally means oil press. You see, when you want to get olive oil, let's say you want to get olive oil, you know how they would get olive oil? They would take the olives, they'd smash them, smash them, right? And they gather the olives together and they would take a massive stone. And I'm not talking like a little bit, I'm talking a massive stone. And they would place it on top of the olives. And the pressure, the extreme pressure would smash the olives and eventually the pure oil would start to flow out of it, right? That's how you get olive oil. It only comes under the pressure. It only comes through the tough stuff. So something that's actually harsh and abrasive is actually the only way you're going to get the pure olive oil. And this is exactly what Jesus experiences in Gethsemane. Because remember, he knows what's coming. He knows the pressure, that that it's extreme. He's filled with anguish and turmoil, and he's wrestling, right? He knows what is coming. I think many of us, if not all of us, have experienced moments like that. The Gethsemane moments, a place called Gethsemane, when when you've experienced the pressure, you've experienced the weight, you feel the heaviness, you don't feel like you can take it anymore. Every one of us experiences seasons like that. Last week, for those who were with us last week, we, we talked about the fact that not every pressure we face in life is of God's doing. Remember we shared this? I said, sometimes we face pressures because we've done something stupid. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Sometimes we, it's of our own doing. Sometimes it's of someone else's doing. They've done something to hurt us. Sometimes it's just the natural result of the fallen world that we live in. And sometimes, just like Jesus, God will lead us to the oil press. He will lead us to a place called Gethsemane. He will lead us to a place of pressure, of stress, a place where sometimes we can feel overwhelmed. And there's two things that God can do in those moments, whether it's of his doing or whether it's a natural circumstance. There are two things that God can do in those moments. It's this. He can reveal and he can refine. He can reveal and he can refine. The problem is there's two things that you and I like to do when we enter Gethsemane. You know what that is? To blame and complain. I'm going to talk about that just for a few moments here. So the first thing that can happen in Gethsemane, a place called Gethsemane, those moments of pressure, those moments where we feel overwhelmed, one thing that can happen is God can reveal. Reveal. Pressure exposes. That's what it does. Like when pressure comes, just like remember I said, when you travel, certain things come out of you. And it's really easy for us to want to blame the circumstance, right? Ah, traveling's just hard. Oh, they're annoying me. Oh, my flight got canceled. All this stuff happened. And naturally, that's why I'm, no, no, no. Pressure exposes some things. It just does. That's how pressure works. Some of you say this. You're like, when I'm around this one person, oh, I just get so angry. Okay? The pressure exposed something there. Are they annoying? Possibly. But I tell my kids all the time, other people 
can't dictate your behavior and your response, right? Like you still get to decide your response in those moments. And the same thing is true, but, but it's really easy. We just want to blame. Let's blame the circle. I'm going through a hard season. Why are you so cranky all the time? I'm going through a really hard season right now. Okay, you're going through a hard season. I get that. But it's possible that that pressure is actually revealing some stuff in your life, right? I've used this example before, and uh, some of you have heard this, but when they, when they want to test certain engines and machinery, they'll do what's called pressure testing. And they will, you know, pr- crank it filled with pressure. Sometimes they'll use water, sometimes they'll use air, and just crank it full of pressure. Pressure, pump, pump it up, pump the pressure, pump the pressure, pump the pressure, pump the pressure. And sometimes a little leak will spring. And the question is, what caused the leak? And the temptation is to say, well, the pressure caused the leak. No, the pressure exposed the leak. The flaw was already there. It just took the pressure for it actually to be seen. And see, here's, here's the deal. We want to blame other things, right? When we go through hard stuff, we want to blame the circumstances. That's why I am the way that I am. That's why I'm struggling the way that I'm struggling. But if we could be humble enough to instead of blaming to say, God, what are you trying to reveal? It's possible God could be showing you something. I'm not saying he, he brought that circumstance to your life, but as we said last week, God can use that circumstance in your life to do something that maybe he couldn't do any other way. There are things in your life that God wants to reveal. Would we have spirits that are open to say, okay, God, what are you doing here? Doesn't mean I have to like what, what's going on. Doesn't mean I have to enjoy this, but I can ask the question, God, what are you trying to reveal in me? You know, the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There are deeper things going on inside of us than we are always aware of, right? We just say, oh, I just said that word. No, Jesus would say, there's something there. And maybe the pressure, maybe Gethsemane is something God can use in your life. But there's something else that God likes to do beyond just revealing. Gethsemane can be used to, number two, refine, to refine us. You know how you get pure gold? Crank the heat up. Just keep cranking the heat up, crank the heat up, crank the heat up, right? Because it gets heated, it separates, and the good from the bad gets separated. Have you ever been to like a stream, like a bubbling brook or something like that? You've been to a stream and you see the rocks in there and they're perfectly smooth? Why is that? Because for years, if not decades, if not centuries, water has been running over that stone. And it's been refining the stone. They've been banging up against each other. The water is shaving the edges off. See, that's what happens. Gethsemane can be a place of refining. It can be a place where things get purified. It can be a place where you get transformed in ways that couldn't happen any other way. That's what the oil press is like, if we will allow it. But the problem is, a lot of times when we get taken into hard circumstances, maybe you're better than I am. But when I get into hard circumstances, you know what I want to do? Complain. I just want to complain about, oh, God, why is this going on? I want to tell everybody, hey, look at what I, oh, can you believe this is happening? My, can you believe this is going on? That's what I want to do. Because when I complain, other people are like, oh, poor Greg, he's so, oh, right? But what if rather than doing that, what if we would stop and say, God, is there something in my life that you need to refine? I'm not saying I like this Gethsemane moment. Jesus didn't like this moment. He was saying, can we... Can you do this another way? But if we would be willing to, rather than responding with complaint, say, God, my heart is open. Whether this is a circumstance of my doing, somebody else's doing, whatever it is, God, could I have a heart that says, Lord, are you trying to do something in me right now? Is there something you're trying to reveal in me? 
Last week I said this, that if we trust God, right? If we trust him, then it's possible he could do something that we don't see, that we don't recognize. And I think that's what Gethsemane oftentimes is. What are you going through right now? Is there a Gethsemane, is there a pressure moment right now? It's possible that you've been going through that and all you've been doing is being irritated with the season that you're in and not said, God, is there something you wanna do through this? See, the posture of a follower of Christ asks the question, God, how can you speak to me? How could you refine me? Just like that stone, is there a rough edge that still needs to be broken off so that I look more like Jesus? See, a place of, of Gethsemane, a place of Gethsemane can, can be a season of preparation for you where God actually prepares you for something else. Oftentimes, when we're about to step into something new, we will go through a season that's hard, Okay? If you lift weights, guess how you get weights? Not by sitting on your butt. You know, or you don't get muscles by sitting on your butt. You get muscles by lifting and tearing your muscles over and over and over again, right? And as you tear them, what happens? They start to rebuild and they get stronger. And that's how our lives are. When we, God is trying to prepare us or take us somewhere new, oftentimes he will take you through a difficult season, right? And even if it isn't a season that God has brought you in, he, did, he will also bring you through it, okay? He will bring you through it. You know, I, I talk about in my own life, I, I say all the time, you know, obviously I, I've dealt with Crohn's disease. I don't want to talk about that all that much, but about 12 years ago when it happened, I went through a season for three months, horrible pain, whatever. Haven't dealt with anything like it since then, okay? But up until that point in my life, I had kind of lived a charmed life. Like seriously, I was like 27, 28 years old at the time. I didn't even have a cavity, like I had had no health issues, like nothing was wrong. Like I had lived a pretty nice life, had an, you know, got an amazing wife, whatever. Like life was, was feeling pretty charmed at that point in time. And so then when I encountered this season, I, again, I don't get into the theology. Did God, did God allow me to get sick? Did God make me get sick? Why isn't God here? I don't, I don't get into that anymore. I'm like, eh, I don't even care. That doesn't help me anyway. What I do know is that God has used that season like nothing else in my life to shape me. And I'll say this, prior to that, I ha it was hard for me to have lots of compassion on other people because I myself had not gone through hard things. But because I then walked through hard things, God began to shape my heart to be able to actually minister to other people, to be a pastor who has a heart for those who walk through hard things, specifically physical things. I, I, although it wasn't, it, some of you deal with far worse things, I still understand the thoughts, the feelings. And see, that's what God can do. He can shape you. He can prepare you. I genuinely believe that I am a better pastor today because of the season God brought me through. But it required me, rather than to just sit and complain about the circumstance, it required me to say, okay, God, is there something you want to do in me? Is there some refining that still needs to take place in my life? All right? And so, as we close this morning, I ask the question, what if we followed the Jesus way? And I want to get to our big so what, because Jesus gives us what I would say are the four words that every single one of us needs as a follower of Christ. The big so what is this. Gethsemane requires four words. Your will be done. Your will be done. So what does he say? You get into this passage, 
Father, if there's another way, right? If there's another way, if we can do this another way, if you can take this away, can you please take this away? That's his prayer. And some of us encounter seasons just like that. We're just like, oh, can, can I not go through this? Can we not deal with this? I would rather not be thinking about this. You've prayed those prayers, but Jesus got to the end of the prayer and he says, not my will, your will be done. Whatever it is, God, I submit. It's a prayer of submission. It's a posture of submission to the Father saying, I, I place all of my needs, all of my desires, I place it beneath you. And I say, God, you are God. I am not. I desperately need you. I exist for you. And if there's anything that I want to do in my life, it wants to be for your glory, not for mine. Okay? So the challenge for us as followers of Christ is could we do the same thing Christ did? Could we have the same posture of our heart, a posture of submission, that we would pray this prayer of submission to God, not my will? See, that's what salvation is. Salvation is coming to a place of saying, God, I'm not going to do things my way anymore. I submit to yours. But it doesn't end there. See, a follower of Christ is one who day after day after day, whatever the season is, we say, God, not my will. Your will be done. When I go through a hard thing, I'm not going to blame people. I'm not going to complain. I'm actually going to say, God, is there something you need to reveal? Is there something you need to refine in me? God, would you use this season to do something in me? I don't want to waste a hard season. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of a hard season, I don't want to say, oh, I just sucked it up and I dealt with it. No, I want to say, God, you can use even the hard seasons to do something in my life. I want that for my life. I want that for your life. It's people who say, you know what? God, your will be done no matter what. You're God and I'm not. And so Gethsemane moments can happen at just about any time in your life. I've been talking about the hard stuff, but there's actually a lot of other times. Seasons of success can be a Gethsemane moment. Honestly, some of the biggest pressures you face in life is when everything's going really, really well. And what happens when you get the pressure of success some things you'll find stuff come out of people's lives. You've seen people who've had success and they've fallen. They've gone sideways, right? Because when they got pressed, like all the good stuff showed up in their life, suddenly they started wasting it and squandering. You realize there wasn't the true authentic faith like you thought there was. And I think for some of us, we're, like you, you come and you're like, Greg, I don't know who you're talking about because my life is awesome. <laughs> like everything is awesome. My life is great. Okay, yay for you. <laughs> But if that's where you're at, just know this. Be aware that is a Gethsemane moment. Because are we still going to have the same posture that Christ had? Your will be done. Or are we going to say, everything's great. I must be doing great. I'm going to do things my way. The invitation is to something better. Say, God, would you do what only you can do? So number one is success. Another area, number two is this, is discouragement. Discouragement can be a Gethsemane moment. Like when you face the, the discouragement, something happens, you get that, uh, you know, response from someone that you didn't want. You, you get that, you know, note from your doctor saying, oh, this isn't what I hoped. And you're in a moment of, of disappointment, discouragement. That's a good set. It's a pressure moment. The question is, can you have a posture that says, God, is there something even in this season that you want to reveal in me, that you want to refine in me? Could you show me that? There's also seasons of unknown. Seasons of unknown. That's a Gethsemane moment. 
Because when, when there's unknown, oftentimes we kind of revert to trying to find something to grab onto. And it's possible you'll find in the moments of an unknown, you will grab onto unhealthy things just because it's something you're familiar with. And would you say, God, would you help me? Um, God, is there something you need to reveal? Is there something I'm, I'm leaning on a different idol? I've got some idol in my life. I've got some other thing that I'm, I'm holding onto. I'm making that my God rather than clinging to you. Would you reveal that? Can you refine me in this moment? And lastly, I would say this is, is that pain can be a Gethsemane moment. The pressure of pain. Some of you have faced that. You've, you've just, those, it just feels like you're getting smashed. It just feels like you're getting pressed over and over again. And in those moments, can we still be those who say, God, is there something you need to do in me? Is there still a refining in my heart that you could do? Just like Jesus, I don't like this, God. <laughs> I wish this wasn't happening, but God, can you do something in me. I want to bring this encouragement to some of you, and it's this, is that God will often minister to others through areas of our deepest pain. So that thing that you're going through right now, if you just want to sit and blame people and complain about it, it's going to remain a pain in your life. It's going to remain a thing that you wish didn't happen. You're going to, it's going to be that thing that's just, I can't stand that. I don't even want to look at it. But if you could surrender that thing in submission to God, say, God, I give this to you, the pain that you have experienced could be used for something good. God could use the pain in your life, as horrible as it may have been, he could redeem that pain and, and use it to bless someone else. And I've watched it happen in my own life as I shared. My own pain is now a blessing to others because I've continued to try and say, God, as, as imperfectly as it is, God, can you use this in some way? I've watched the same story play out in my wife over and over and over again. As she said, God, I'm not gonna hoard this thing and just blame everybody and complain about it. I wanna be whole and then I wanna share the pain so that others who have the same thing could experience the same life I have. I've seen it, I've watched it in Pastor Micah who's around here, right? When he shares, he lost his father. It's horrible, tragedy, okay? But because of that, God has been able to use him to minister to others that no one else could re relate to. I can't relate to that, but he has been used in powerful ways through that story. I even think about our pastors, Dan and Amanda here on our team, okay? Some of you don't know this. They, they had a long infertility journey, and it was challenging for them. And because of that, because they've said, God, I'll even let you use this thing, this thing that a lot of people don't want to talk about, I'll use it for your glory. They've been able to breathe life into people going through the exact same thing. And I'll just say this because a lot of times people go through infertility quietly and don't want to talk about it and have nobody to talk to. Pastor Dan and Amanda would love it if you would reach out to them because they'd love to come alongside you in that journey. But see, this is the story. If we are willing, if we're willing to say your will be done, God can use any of these moments for something good, but it demands one thing, a posture of submission. Say, God, have your way. And when we come to the gospel, we're reminded that this is what Christ did for us. We love John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world, he gave us one and only son, but the son, what did he, he didn't just come, everything's eating, no, the son went to a garden he went to Gethsemane. He went to the oil press. He was pressed beyond anything we could understand. And his response was, thy will be done. 
And the next day, he went to a cross on your behalf. He bore your sin. Scripture actually says he was crushed for your sin. The pure oil of the life of Jesus was poured out for you and for me. For us, the prayer is, God, could we do the same thing? Would we respond to your gracious love by saying, God, your will be done. Whatever we face, it's for your glory.